Good morning everyone. It's lovely to see so many people here. Welcome to Essex Church, the home of this gathered community known as Kensington Unitarians. And a particular welcome to those of you who might be here for the first time today. We're very glad to have you with us and there'll be an opportunity to introduce yourselves towards the end of the service if you wish. Uh, my name is Juliette Edwards. I've been attending to this church, attending it, but attending to it, I guess, for um, just over 30 years, and I'm very fond of it, as you might imagine. Uh, our minister, Sarah Tinker, is having a well-earned day off, and strangely, she's gone to Sheffield, uh, to be with her daughter, but she might also uh, just glimpse the uh, cycling today. Um, so I'm going to lead worship with the help of other members of the congregation. And uh, I'm not taking any credit for this because it's all been beautifully pre um, prepared for us by Jane Blackall. Uh, now our service is entitled Chapeau, in tribute to the Tour de France which makes it, made its grand départ in Yorkshire yesterday and which is coming to the streets of London tomorrow. In the world of cycling, chapeau is used to express deep respect for another's achievement or heroic efforts. Chapeau literally means hat, of course. So when you say it to someone, you're metaphorically doffing your hat or taking your hat off to them in tribute. In this service, we'll be paying tribute to underappreciate to the to such underappreciated achievements in all spheres of human endeavour. Chapeau. Would you all like to say it with me? Chapeau. Right, got it. And these are our opening words. These are the days that have been given to us. Let us rejoice and be glad in them. These are the days of our lives. Let us live them well in love and service. These are the days of mystery and wonder. Let us cherish and celebrate them in gratitude together. These are the days that have been given to us. Let us make them stories worth telling to those who come after us. Carol's going to light the chalice for me, for us. We light this chalice for all who are here and all who are not. For all who have ever walked through our doors, for those who may yet find this their spiritual home, and for those we can't even imagine. For each of us, and for all of us, may this flame burn warm and bright. And I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Universal spirit of life, God of all love, source of all in which we live and move and have our being, we come together in prayer, even though some of us struggle with what that means. 
We come together to stand before that which is greater than us, although we may struggle to say what that is. And so on this day we pray for those things we struggle with, for the conflicts we feel within ourselves and between us and those we love. We pray for guidance, compassion, for the opening of a path. We pray for those things that give us joy and hope, for those things that we trust in, believe in, will sacrifice for. These are gifts of grace and perhaps need not define them in order to savour them, rejoice in them, be thankful for them. What we do know is that we gather this morning with all kinds of needs. Some are facing serious physical problems, are in need of healing. Others need healing of a different kind, emotional and spiritual. Some are facing family problems. Some are weary with the struggles of life and seek assurance that this will, this will someday pass. Others face the spectre of making difficult decisions for themselves and their families. For each of us we speak the deepest prayers of our hearts in different ways, knowing that what it means for them to be answered will look and feel different for each of us. May we somehow this morning be met at the point of our differences and also in the places that we are one of the same breath of life that courses through all living things. May we always hold in our hearts gratitude for those things that bless us with their presence, forgiveness for the ways we have turned from those blessings, and the willingness to open ourselves anew to this beautiful and hurting world. In the name of truth, compassion and justice, this we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned at the start of today's service, in the world of cycling, the term chapeau is used to express respect for a rider's heroic efforts. It's important to note that it doesn't just apply to efforts that end in success and glory. Chapeau is frequently used to pay tribute to someone's dogged perseverance or their brave but ultimately doomed effect attempts to go beyond their limits, regardless of outcome. One of the most chapeau-worthy moments of recent years was provided by the German rider Tony Martin in last year's Tour of Spain. He rode away on his own from the rest of the field at the start of the day's 175-kilometer racing building up a lead of seven minutes at one point. Normally, a breakaway would be gradually pulled back to the main bunch well before the end of the race. But he held on and on. It seemed almost unbelievably that he was in with a chance of winning in unprecedented style. In the end, heartbreakingly, the rest of the bunch caught up with him, with just 20 metres to go. But hardly anybody talks about the person who actually won the, won the stage that day. We all say a hearty chapeau to Tony Martin for his heroic effort, which made for a thrilling spectacle. Today's professional cyclists 
the men at least, have huge amounts of money, support and the latest technology on their side. There are a plethora of cycling magazines and TV coverage where their achievements are lauded. However, they still have to suffer for successes, putting in an enormous amount of training and showing tremendous mental discipline to reach the top of their sport. The culture of cycling prizes, endurance and tenacity and there are many stories and striking photos of cyclists who have picked themselves up after a crash with their shorts in tatters, covered in scrapes and often with fractures too, yet insistently chasing back to complete the race regardless. Later in the service, we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on the great achievement and heroic efforts, sorry, heroic efforts in all fields of human endeavour, not just cycling. But for now, let's hear about two relatively unsung heroes of the sport who you probably won't even have heard of but who pushed the boundaries of what we thought was it was possible to achieve Tommy Goodwin and Eileen Sheridan Tommy Goodwin was born in 1912 and had a job as a young boy delivering groceries by bike he rode this heavy contraption up and down steep hills, laden with groceries. It made him strong. One day, he rode and won a 25-mile time trial on his delivery bike, having carefully dismantled the parcel tray from the front. Tommy Godwin was something of a phenomenon. The world mileage endurance record he set in 1939 was so extraordinary that the people at the Guinness Book of Records are refusing to ratify any more attempts to break it. Their reasoning is that it is too dangerous. This makes it harder than Felix Baumgartner's 2012 jump from space, which I think we can all agree fell into the category of highly risky. So Godwin's record stands to this day. The lunatic bloody-mindedness of the man he rode in one calendar year 75,065 miles, more than 200 miles every day. Even as I type it, I find Tommy Godwin's powers of endurance hard to comprehend. In pictures, he appears brutishly strong. The only accessory he sported was a milometer which he fixed to his bike, which seemed to have been ripped from the cockpit of a Hawker Hurricane. His trademark pose is knackered, his head on one side, open mouthed as he gulps in British air and metabolises it. The endurance record had been set and broken repeatedly since its inauguration in 1910, when Cycling Magazine established what it called the Century Competition, to reward the rider with the greatest number of complete 100 mile rides in 1911. This was first won by a Frenchman, Marcel Plains, who ensured that his checking card was signed every day by a local official to prove that he'd ridden as far as he'd claimed. 
He pedalled a verified 34,366 miles in a year, and this record stood for 21 years before the competition got going again in the 1930s. Tommy Godwin set off on his record attempt in freezing conditions on New Year's Day 1939, from outside his sponsor's bike shop in Middlesex. It was reported that so many people turned up to see him off that the police thought there was a riot and called for backup. He averaged more than 200 miles a day through an appalling winter and even overcame the minor inconvenience of the outbreak of war in September. The introduction of rationing affected his vast dairy-based intake. Tommy was a vegetarian. And the blackout meant that he could no longer use his lights to ride in darkness. He had to wait for a full moon and clear skies. He did it though, 75,065 miles. Then he carried on, just for fun. By Whitson 1940, he'd ridden the fastest ever 100,000 miles. Tommy's daughter Barbara grew up with no idea about what he had achieved. She said, the most amazing thing about him was that he never boasted about his world records. I was 16 years old before I knew. It was my headmaster who asked me if my dad was the famous cyclist. When I got home that afternoon, I asked dad if he was famous, and his reply was, Who's told you that rubbish? Eileen Sheridan, I don't think I've ever heard of her before, Um, and to my enduring shame, I hadn't even thought about a sort of female uh, Tour de France, Um, so this came as a complete surprise to me, and I'm I'm very proud to read it. So it's it's written by Jack Thurston. Eileen Sheridan was born in 1924. During the late 1940s and 50s, she broke every one of 21 professional long-distance records on the books of the Women's Road Records Association. In fact, her performances took her within touching distance of many of the men's records, (coughs) sparking quite a debate in the newspaper at the time about women in sport. Throughout her career, she was subjected to casual sexism. In a Pathé newsreel from 1956, the narrator remarks on how, in addition to her household duties, she finds the time to be a champion cyclist. (laughs) I shall burst into flames soon. (laughs) And concludes, no wonder she wins races She has to get back in time to catch up with the housework. (laughs) Of all the record attempts, the greatest was surely her ride from Land's End to Donnegroats. It began at 10am on a blustery, overcast day in June 1954. She rode the 470 miles to Carlisle without taking a break, stopping only to attach lights and wet weather clothing when it started to rain. From Penrith onwards, her entourage was joined by a very strange vehicle, 
a customised caravan equipped with beds, a gas fire, a kitchen and a separate toilet, all mounted on a large lorry. The weather was terrible, with high winds and torrential rain slowing her progress through the Scottish borders. Wearing no gloves and with no padding <coughs> and with no padding on her handlebars, Eileen's hands became so blistered she could only grip the bars using the heel of her hand and her thumb, formed into a primitive claw. The final miles to John O'Groats dragged on and on and with each hill giving way to another. In the event, she broke previous records by a full seven hours. But reaching John O'Groats wasn't the end of the ride, as her sponsors wanted her to set a new record for a thousand miles. And so, after an hour and three quarters rest, she was back on the bike again for another 130 miles. At one point, her manager told her if she could increase her speed by just a third of a mile per hour, she'd beat the men's 1,000 mile record. But she was already at her limit. Hallucinating freely, greeting imaginary people on the road, and struggling against an overpowering urge to ride off the road and into the verge. With just 40 miles to go, <coughs> and Eileen feeling desperately hungry, <coughs> her manager proposed another rest and a meal of fried eggs and bacon. Eileen was incapable of holding a knife and fork, and so her manager cut up her food and fed her as her, heart, as her head lolled forward into sleep. But the meal had the desired effect. In those final miles, she picked up speed and wound up having ridden a thousand miles in three days and one hour, demolishing the women's record and coming within two hours, 20 minutes of the best men's rec record. It still stands as one of the greatest ever rides by a British endurance athlete, and it was a record that stood for 48 years. It's impossible to look at Eileen Sheridan's racing career as anything other than a shaft of bright light that brightened what was already the golden age of British cycling. As is always the way, it wasn't that what she achieved, but how she did it. Cycle sport has long reveled in its manufactured images of heroic, hyperfavoral male physical prowess, emphasizing pain and suffering as the price of glory. The memory of a youthful, ever-smiling Eileen Sheridan, at less than five foot tall, with a furious cadence, an indomitable fighting spirit reminds us of the possibility of a lighter side to the sport. No less talented, no less determined, no less committed. But hers is a more joyful version of cycling. Um, I'm going to read a poem called I Use What I Have by Angela Herrera. And it um, should appeal to any, any cyclists among us who are not experts and not particularly fit. Well, it's about running, I can't think of it. I ran this morning, surpassing a personal best, 
Past the bakery, with each inhalation, I tasted pastries, a cigarette, and coffee with fat. I passed the fire station and its strapping young things. Ran up the hill, thinking, get there, get there. Winked at the biker, who thinks I run for him, chasing my six-foot shadow towards noon. Arriving home in a sweat, heart racing, I give thanks. There are limits to this body, under five foot tall with shoes on. Having born two children and being nearly 40, it's too late for breakdancing. My love sets wine glasses out of reach and I have to get a chair. I take pills and use an inhaler. The list gets longer every year. But what exhilaration to use what you have and do what you can. To push it to the limit so you have to catch your breath. Good advice for bodies and for life. Now then, I think we've got time for the next section. I hope you've been thinking of people you want to um, raise your hat to. I'll read what it says here. As promised, we now have some time to go beyond cycling and sporting achievements to consider inspiring advances and heroic efforts in all fields of human endeavour. In, in your order of service, you'll find a piece of paper. You might notice that they're in various colours to match the yellow, green and polka dot jerseys that riders are competing who are competing for in the Tour de France are hopefully going to win. Now uh, you should have been given a pencil too and we'll have five minutes while you just spend time reflecting quietly on who you might like to say chapeau to. Uh, if you write the name on your sheet of paper and a brief description of um, who, who the person is and what they achieved and we'll just listen to some music quietly while we're doing that. haven't managed to get everything down about your chosen person I hope you can finish writing it after the service and um, we're going to ask you to uh, put them on the cupboard doors in the room where we have coffee we've got some blue tack and you can uh, put the uh, um, names up there and the closing words May the light around us guide our footsteps and hold us fast to the best and most righteous ways that we seek. May the darkness around us nurture our dreams and give us rest so that 
so that we may give ourselves to the work of the world. Reminded that we are part and participants of the universe, let us go forth from this quiet hour, encouraged to strive towards faithfulness to the best in ourselves, in others and in all creation. Amen.